what episode are we on? 14, 15? Uh, I usually ask you that. That's my bit. <laughs> Quit jacking my phrases. Well, I'm not even sure if we released the, the last podcast or not, honestly. Uh, yeah, I uploaded it like two days after we okay. recorded it, actually. Okay. Soundcloud.com slash Davis and the Jake Man. There's no L in, in my name. The Jekyll Man. The Jekyll Man. The Jackal Man. I am the Jackal Man. Jekyll! Jekyll! It looks like a Jekyll! <laughs> jekyll? It's a Jackal! Alright, this podcast wasn't a jackal the first time, and it wasn't the 42nd time either. Welcome to episode 16 of Davis and the Jake Man, a tri-weekly podcast hosted by two certified computer technicians. This week on the program, we'll be discussing Davis's tech news for April 11th through the 30th. Let's see. First up, electric buses are hurting the oil industry. Now, honestly, I think it's about time because um, a lot of the big countries use a crazy amount of oil. Um... And let's see, about 279,000 barrels a day of fuel won't be needed this year. And a huge part of it is because China is adding a London-sized electric bus fleet every five weeks. This article from Bloomberg also mentions that London is slowly transforming its its fleet to electric buses. Many people have seen pictures of these these double-decker buses, these huge monstrosities in London. Those things are cool, though. I mean, that's just like part of their look, you know? It's part of their culture. Yeah, no, double-decker buses. It's it's incredible. I mean, if you look around New England, you're not going to see bridges high enough to fit a double-decker bus. In the past, what was holding China back? Was it lack of will? Was it cost? Um, why is it now that they're deciding to uh, invest so heavily in uh, EVs? I think it's a little of both because, I mean, it's, it's a huge investment. So... Uh, you know, China's really doing this um, in part because the smog has become too bad and in part because it might make economic sense in the long term. It's not like all of a sudden they care about the environment, you know, whether it be their local environment or, you know, the entire planet. Because obviously, you know, these uh, uh, greenhouse gases and other harmful pathogens, you know, spread beyond the border, you know, obviously... Anytime they put anything in the ocean, say, it affects us all, not just the Chinese. So they're just, I feel like, they're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, you know? Okay, so that was uh, electric buses are hurting the oil industry. Next up, Intel's uh, 10 nanometer Cannon Lake chips are delayed again. Yeah, so mass production is expected to start in 2019 now. So yeah, it's it's their next architecture. And it's the next step in creating smaller and, fa- and faster processors. Um, this is just yet another example that Moore's Law is dead. Like, it's been a year, it's been over a year and a half. Where's the next processor? Yeah. It's like, it's okay that there's a delay if they want to work out all the bugs and so forth. But, you know, the common knowledge that every 18 months the speed will approximately double is just, it doesn't hold true anymore. Right. And Intel's been really struggling. Um, Last year, they first launched uh, the eighth generation, which had um, which had two different architectures, two different types of chips, instead of just the one. Um, yeah, they've done like a branching thing, but right. then they use the same naming convention for each. 
Right. Ranch. So they caused some market confusion. Um, and I think the reviews of the processes were mixed. I don't think it was a high enough performance jump for most people. I think, um, I believe it was 7th gen that was underwhelming. 8th gen actually introduced a quad core on the mobile units, which was like a big deal. Because um, you know, like the, the U series processor right. that were only dual core. Now you can get four cores on the slimline models. So for higher end customers who want that svelte form factor, but want the power, you know, the cooling was there, the efficiency was there, that now you could get all four cores. And if you like needed to do some very processor intensive tasks, you had more uh, compute power at your disposal. But yeah, for like the average consumer who's just buying, you know, like a mid-range model, it wasn't a huge jump. Right. I mean, this mixed with a couple other headlines at the time. Um, Apple's actually reportedly planning on dropping the Intel processors for its Mac line in 2020. Um, let's see. Intel abruptly abandoned its Vaunt smart glasses project. Uh, there was also the meltdown inspector problems earlier this year. Yeah. I mean, if I was a, as security conscious a company as Apple... The Spectre and Meltdown fiasco would want me to abandon ship ASAP. Right. I mean, like, there's such a entrenched sort of, like, Wintel duopoly that Microsoft OEMs are kind of stuck. But Apple's not. They control the whole stack. So if they want to port their A-series chips from the iPad to the computer, that's something that they have the power to do and are uniquely poised to do so versus, say, HP. Unlimited power. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've I've shared those um, like benchmarks. I've showed you a few times. Like, yeah. if you look at the the A11X versus like the 8th Gen i5, they're like on par with each other. Yeah, it's just like iOS can't take it full advantage of the A series chip. It, right. Now it's at a point where the software limits the hardware, and not the other way around. Right. Um, I mean, Intel is. I mean, Intel still posted record profits. Um, sorry, revenue, uh, $16.07 billion in revenue, which is a record for them. Um, I mean, Intel isn't, isn't out yet. Um, but they're, they're just having a bad news week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if say Apple completely abandoned it, Intel, vast majority of, um, computers sold run Microsoft windows. So it's not going to be the end of the world for them. Uh, and some competition would be good, frankly. Uh, having a triopoly between AMD, Apple, and Intel beats the current duopoly as far as desktop class processors go. Having one more horse in the race can't really be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I really want to see more Ryzen processors available. All right, third on the tech news. Why all your favorite apps are serving you new privacy prompts. This is from the Washington Post. This is something, and this is kind of interesting because, like, even... This is one of those explainer articles that even like a layman or someone not tech savvy would want to know more about because you're constantly like logging into Gmail and Facebook and Twitter and so forth. And they'll be like, we updated our privacy policy. I remember I opened Bing for iPad for the first time in a month uh, and then I, I got a pop up there too. Yeah. I mean, not that people read it, but they still have to try and... They still have to let users know when their privacy policies change and users have to agree to the new one or, you know, just stop using the service, but that won't happen. Um, these privacy changes that are coming about now 
are a result of some new regulations by the EU, the European Union. So it's it's forcing global changes. Well, yeah, we talked about this on last, I'm going to say month, but it's a tri-weekly podcast now. On the last edition of the program, uh, we talked about, or maybe it was the one prior to that, so months back, actually, we discussed how the regulations imposed on tech companies by the EU might trickle down to America and Canada. Yeah, they aren't like fundamental changes. They aren't huge. Um, it's not like suddenly Facebook can't sell our data. Um, it's not like suddenly we're not the product. Um, it's just that they're making the process more transparent. We're supposed to know exactly what data they're marketing and selling. You know, things like browsing habits, um, message contents, things like that. GPU makers forced to slash prices after shipments fall by 40%. Let's see. This one comes from PC Games. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I haven't used this source before, so we've we've talked on this show extensively. I'm sure about cryptocurrency and how you know it's being mined, um, and it's had a, a huge variety of effects on the on the graphics cards market. Um, video game graphics cards are mostly. I mean, a lot of the really good cards are very difficult to come by right now. They're very expensive because of supply and demand. Um, when there's not enough of a product, the price naturally goes up. And then there's all sorts of other problems from this particular market. Um, graphics cards are being resold after they're burned out cryptocurrency mining. So, you know, it's, it's becoming a scam. In some places, like eBay, yeah, Amazon. And, and just like as a sort of PSA, if you're buying something online and returns aren't accepted, don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you see like a GPU, the price is too good to be true. That's because it is. <laughs> this is kind of related to what we were just talking about. I was checking my inbox here. Updates to our privacy policy from Slack. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing I read the explainer that was uh, on the tech news. So now I know why I'm receiving that. But uh, yeah, because everybody's buying up these powerful graphics cards to use to mine cryptocurrency, um, the gamers are getting screwed. Like if you just want to build yourself a nice rig, it's frankly cheaper to buy a, a, a pre-built uh, product. Yeah, and that should never that should never happen. No, in, in, unless there's like a fire sale. I mean, for the, price, no. for the longest time... Those pre-builds were, were basically, you know, a scam or a trap for uneducated users or people who just couldn't couldn't physically build their own PCs. Or if, like, uh, you're a high-income sort of customer, like, your time might actually be worth that much yeah. that you don't, you can't be bothered to buy all the parts, have them shipped, and then, you know, assemble them. But for a vast amount, I mean, you'd really need to make a lot of money for to want to pay 300 400 extra dollars to not have to build it. I mean, this, this particular drop in the cryptocurrency and, um, I mean, particularly the, um, the graphics card market is partly in response to um, some new regulations in China on cryptocurrency. Um, because of that, cryptocurrency is seen as a bit less attractive. A lot of cryptocurrency's values went down after a few particular announcements. Yeah, this is, um, you know, cryptocurrency in general is so volatile. It's just... I was really hoping it, it would be a fad just because, you know, it's destroying or not necessarily destroying, but it's warping the market in an unhealthy way for the gaming community, for the 
graphic design community, you know, for people who use these GPUs for their intended purpose. Right. Instead of people who buy 30 or 40 graphics cards, put them in a and put them on a server rack and just run them till they burn out and replace them. Right. Or, in this particular article, maybe they're not replacing them. There isn't enough of a demand for replacement cards to, to warrant increasing production. And the last couple of months have been such a terrible time to buy graphics cards that the people who actually want them for gaming aren't buying them. They're, they're settling for cheaper cards or they're, they're settling for um, less intensive games. There's millions of indie games that you can get that will run on, you know, something that is dated back to Windows XP. I mean, I, I think right now there's a huge bubble. I don't know when that bubble is pop is going to pop, but I expect most or all of the cryptocurrencies to one day just just to devalue so quickly. It's it's going to be like the stock market crash or something. Cryptocurrency doesn't inherently become more valuable each day for for no reason. It's the speculation. And as soon as people wise up to it, like that's when it all comes crashing down. Right. It's only worth as much as somebody is willing to pay. It's 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 a stock, it's, effectively. Yeah. So, um, the world's largest DDoS for hire site gets taken down by the cyber police. What's up with that? All right. Yes. Thank thank you, Engadget. I will accept your current privacy policy so I can read the freaking article again. <laughs> According to this, one of the most likely suspects is a 19-year-old Eastern European. Like, this guy's fresh out of high school. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He made one wrong decision. He's going to serve some serious time. This is a good headline, but the thing is, it's it's hardly going to make a difference. I mean, there's so many DDoS services. There's so many DDoS sites. There's so many groups out there, hacking groups, that this is just, a, this is honestly just a drop in the bucket. I mean, yeah, it, it's believed to be the largest service for paid DDoS attacks, but you know what? Another one's just going to take its place. If there's no number one, the number two becomes the number one. It's a power vacuum, yeah. It's not like they're going to see this Serb guy go get incarcerated and then every single hacker is going to quit. Like, oh, I guess I have, have to get a real job now. This one kid got arrested. Like, no, there's, they're, they're not going to, you know, you need to do more than that. Okay, so I'm glad I just uh, paid my yearly prime like a month and a half ago because it went up from 100 bucks to 120 but uh, this is just like inflation, basically. Like this is bound to happen, you know. Yeah. If the spending power of the dollar drops by one to two percent per year, yeah. inevitably these subscription-based services go up in cost. Yeah. New members will pay the one hundred nineteen dollar price starting May eleventh. Company last raised the price of Prime in the U.S. in March twenty fourteen. What was it prior? Eighty bucks a year. So, Amazon cited rising costs because of higher shipping expenses and spending on digital content. You know, they're that, adding new features. and Yeah, that's the thing is that not everybody uses those features. Like, for example, um, as I just mentioned, I'm a Prime subscriber. I don't use any of their video on demand or anything along those lines. I feel like those should be add-ons. Um, they shouldn't make, you know, that it should be, it should be an, an opt-in or there, there should at least be a potential to opt out because like not everyone sees value in those. Like like my family standardized on Hulu. We use Hulu for everything. Amazon uh, Video is a redundant service. I don't want to pay for it, but if I want Prime, I don't have a choice. Right. So they hiked the price of the monthly Prime plan in the U.S. from ten ninety nine to twelve ninety nine a month earlier this year. 
Um, they also offer a standalone Prime Video subscription for $8.99, which should stay the same for now. Um, now, I mean, that that is a great value to get a, a $9 a month service free right, I mean, with the plan, but it's not actually free anymore because they bumped up the cost. Right. I mean, that's actually a little bit less than I pay for Netflix, but right now they've got less content. Yeah, that's exactly why we I haven't uh, really ever tried out Amazon yeah. Web Services because I looked at their available um, offerings and it's just so fewer than Hulu or Netflix. It's really not worth right, it. Right, because each each content worker is going to try and get its own exclusive exclusivity contracts. Um, and that's just how this is. It's it's a battle of TV networks. It's it's cable all over again. It's a proxy war. Yeah, we're having the same fight fought in the 20th century just on the web. Right. I I can sort of understand them raising the price of the video service just because they're trying to invest in a lot of new content, original series, just like Netflix did with great success. Yeah, this is one of those things where it's like it's a model that we see with Alphabet, for example. Um, Some of their smaller companies within Google's parent company, you know, don't make a profit. They are like a loss leader. And this is one of those things where uh, Amazon is using Prime to subsidize their video service. Prime can't stand on its own. If it were a separate company, it really wouldn't be successful. It's only because it exists within Amazon more broadly that they can really do anything with it because it really doesn't offer great competition versus, like we said, Hulu or Netflix. All right. Um, USA Today has um, another uh, environmentally sound sort of green energy article, kind of in theme with the first topic we discussed. This one's uh, tech firms like Google and Amazon push power companies towards solar and wind at the expense of coal. Yeah, since 2008, renewable energy has gone from 9 to 18% of the U.S. energy mix, according to the Business Council for Sustainable Energy. Um, and that's that's great. I mean, that is a lot of the U.S.'s power. And it's it's really it's really gone up in recent years. I mean, um, not to make this a left versus right thing, but who got elected in, in 2008? Um, you know, his party is the party of green energy. He got into office. Green energy adoption went up. Because there were certain incentives put in place by the EPA and other Right, give them bodies. the carrot, not the stick. You know, give them a reason to want the clean energy. Don't punish them for not doing it. All right. So, uh, this is this is part of the n- next week, I'm, I'm sorry. And this is uh, April the 18th now. Uh, Ars Taconia reports bad news for Comcast and AT&T. The Californian Senate okays a net neutrality bill. Yeah, so this was the strongest state net neutrality bill in the nation. Um, so it's been approved over their over AT and T and their cable lobby's objections. Um, AT and T claimed that the rules aren't needed because it already follows its own net neutrality guidelines. Um, but that that's just such a bad argument. I mean, you know, say like a violent crime. Like, AT&T could say, well, you don't need to outlaw murder because we're not killing anybody. Just take our word for it that we're not going to stab Verizon in the throat 26 times. Wait, we promise we won't. You don't need to put the laws on the books. And then, you know, but but then there's always that if factor. What if AT&T decides to commit violence against Verizon, say, then there aren't any laws to punish them for doing that. So you want to be preemptive, even if no one's violating net neutrality, supposedly. Um... 
if it's something a majority of our representatives and voters agree on, I don't really see the, I mean, they're saying you know, more regulation stifles innovation and so forth, but, you know, a lot that promotes fairness really isn't anti-competitive. All right. I mean, AT&T is making a big stink about this. Um, the bill still has to go through the Senate Judiciary Committee before it actually gets a vote from the full Senate. So, I mean, there's still at least two more steps before it becomes law. And I'm sure they're going to throw a lot of money at this. Yeah, so the Department of Commerce, uh, the American Department of Commerce, that is, has banned uh, ZTE, which is a Chinese uh, OEM. Yeah, so ZTE Corp. has been banned from selling phones in America for seven years after it was caught illegally shipping goods to Iran. That's heavy. That's kind of weird, though. I, I feel like that's an overreach on the U.S.'s part. Like, ZTE isn't an American company. If they want to, like, why are they forced to go along with the embargo that America sets? If, if a Chinese company wants to do business with Iran, that's between China and Iran. Um, the ban is the result of ZTE's failure to comply with an agreement with the U.S. government after it pleaded guilty last year in federal court in Texas to conspiring to violate U.S. sanctions by illegally shipping U.S. goods and technology to Iran. But the, that, that's so, so I mean, dumb. I mean, this is the whole, you know, U.S. trade secrets, U.S. military secrets thing, because they also sold, they also made um, technology for, like, cell phone towers and, you know, our actual telecommunications networks. So, you know, we're getting a sort of foreign intelligence kind of thing going on here. So it is... It is actually fairly serious. No, I understand that. I'm just, um, it's just the, if the U.S. implements a, an embargo, isn't that, so all of its trade partners must comply to that? That just seems wrong. That's just like an overreach on our part. Like, who are we to tell foreign firms what to do? The U.S. should only really be in the business of telling American firms what to do. Right, but at the same time, we do have a right to control what comes in and out of our country. Yeah, that's true. You know, to some extent. I mean, this is going to be huge for for the Chinese company. Um, they're, I mean, they paid $800 million, $890 million in fines and penalties with an additional penalty of $300 million that could be imposed. Um, I mean, this might actually put the company out of business because the U.S. is one of their biggest, one of their biggest, I mean, storefronts, for lack of a better term. I mean, if I was China, you know, I might want to introduce some retaliatory sort of uh, measures in a sense. Like if, you know, if, if you put one of our tech firms out of business, well, no more iPhones in China, you know. You know, once you cease to engage in free trade, you know, it's um, it's like uh, a death by a thousand cuts. It's like this might this might be just the first, this, this might be the first step in going down the wrong road, you know, because America does so much business with China that there are a lot of American tech firms that they can target uh, to sort of avenge Z ZTE. This move might come back to haunt us. Back on April 13th, uh, Gmail's new design will include a confidential mode, uh, which is just a complete joke. Um, you know, they monetize Gmail by serving you ads. Those ads are generated based on scrubbing your emails so it's just something to make you feel safe. It's not actually yeah. a confidential mode. Like, you are still the product, like we were talking about. Yeah, so let's see. Confidential mode lets Gmail users stop recipients from forwarding certain emails or restricts the ability to copy, download, or print them. 
honestly, I think is going to be another thing like the Snapchat, where there was also the Snapchat Keeper app, which was basically just a screen capture. Yeah, exactly. They there's always a workaround. It's just like we keep coming back to this. It's an arms race. The you know, I, the I can take a picture. I can take a picture of the screen. And then send that picture to somebody. Right, an actual picture. Like, yeah, you you don't even need to take a, take a screenshot. You can just point a camera at your cell phone or your computer monitor and get it, the information that way. Right. I mean, the weakest part of any security is the user. Yeah. You, you want to download some smiley clickers? Ooh, download a virus. Email is so entrenched that it's not going away, which I, I like email. You know, if I have something confidential I need to send somebody, I don't use email to do so. But it's just like some people just, just don't know any better. Like they might send their banking information to their spouse over email and then their email gets hacked and then their bank account gets drained. I don't feel that this is more so much a privacy or confidential confidentiality thing. I feel it's like more of an advertising thing. They're trying to bring in, you know, the business users and things like that. Um, as for encryption, um, there are other email clients. There's other, there are methods of email encryption that are proven to work. Yeah, but that's that's where you don't like read the message. Like you got to download the file. That's more work than most people are willing to go for for a shopping list. Right. If you're like a normie, you're just you're just gonna say f that and just send an ordinary email, and all the information's just there. So it, they need to balance confidentiality with ease of use. Right. And this appears to strike the right balance, except you know, just off the top of your head, you mentioned a couple of flaws and exploits there, and obviously. You know, there's going to be app developers who think up more software-based ones. Okay, uh, we will convene in three weeks' time to discuss Davis's tech news from May 1st through the 21st. We'll see you then. This podcast is accompanied by our website, davisandthejakeman.com, where we continue this that where we continue the discussion of subjects of note in the IT industry. Uh, so we should probably think about shortening that.